chapter 18, verses 18 to 28. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Zenchria because of a vow that he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined and promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he sailed from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church, then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord and he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by the grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you, Pam. I've told you I was at a, a gathering of pastors not that long ago. Like when you say open up Acts 18, what do most people do now? They grab their phone, right? But I mean, you know, like when I come up to preach, I still bring a Bible because it, it feels right. But I was at an event with pastors recently where the person up the front said, okay, can you get out your phones and look up Acts 18? They didn't even say get out your Bibles and people got their phones. They just said, get out your phones. And I just thought, we have, we have crossed a line there. Anyway, it's good to see you. Let's, let's pray as we think about this whole area of people empowering and that uh, really helpful account from Acts 18. Thanks, Pam, by the way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, just the fact that we can gather like this and we can seek to set this time aside so we can hear from you. Uh, help me to be clear and to say words that are going to be helpful under you and give us soft hearts. Help us to allow you to change us by your spirit. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Uh, so, you know, it is that idea. It's so easy in church life, isn't it, to get to a place where there are just a few people uh, kind of running the show for, you know, a, a bunch of kind of spiritual consumers that can happen in churches you've heard that saying haven't you 20 percent of the people doing 80 percent of the work that one who's heard and that's not just about the church 
that can be anywhere really, can't it? Um, but certainly it can include the church. It can include churches. But of course, um, we're Baptists. We're biblical and we're Baptists, which means we, uh, we believe that ministry is everyone's business, don't we? So we don't, you know, it's not all about some special priestly caste that have kind of special access to God and should do all the leading or whatever. We're going to come back to that. But not only that, we're also Lismore Baptist Church. And uh, what that means is we're always ready to help out. We've seen it, haven't we? In fact, recently when we were working through our values as a church, this was one of the ones that kind of came to the surface. We, we said, yeah, we are a community where everyone is encouraged to participate and where people do. And, uh, and we saw it, didn't we, with the floods? Goodness me, this community. I mean, not just here. I mean, we live in an amazing community here and lots of people. But people from this church were doing whatever they could in the midst of the crisis with their tinnies or with their, you know, providing accommodation or food or whatever they could do. Uh, and then with the trailer down here in the clean-up, we had all these volunteers and, and then up here with the food bank, that constant stream of people wanting to help out and, and so on. It just goes on. This is kind of what Lismore Baptist Church is about. Everyone's involved and we're into that. You know, maybe things are a bit better around here than they sometimes can be. But then again, you know, it's not that long ago and some of you probably don't know this, <clears throat> and deacons, you'll attest to this, won't you? But our, our deacons meeting agenda had a whole list of items for reporting and our senior pastor, John Wilson, his name was next to almost all of them as the person who was responsible and would be reporting back on these things. You know, everything from, and I made a bit of a list here, I went back to one of the, from a while ago, John was going to report back on visioning, on property, on maintenance, on Baptist care, on consultancy, on pest control, on membership applications, on the student intern, on regional developments and on COVID-19, amongst other things. Now, we're working on this and it's definitely better than it was. Uh, and, and this is part of the reason that you will hear John talking about revisiting our governance structure and the way kind of leadership works here to try and, you know, share that have a leadership structure which encourages more sharing and which allows people, you know, to be released into different things. That's, that's a big part of what that's, a, that's about when you hear him talking about that. Do you remember this diagram he put up? I just see this beautiful. Do you remember that? You can't read it, I'm sure. But it was used in one of our meetings to show that everything goes through the senior pastor. Do you see all those arrows? It's a bit of an exaggeration, but it was to make that idea. Now, <clears throat> Uh, we never meant to do this to John. Uh, and of course, it's the responsibility of John and the leadership team also to make sure this doesn't end up kind of happening. Um, but the point I'm trying to make here is it's insidious, do you see? That creep towards allowing, you know, the few, often the paid professionals or whatever, to do kind of the lion's share while others, um, you know, warm the pews for an hour on a Sunday. Now I say, I feel bad saying that here because I know that that is not our style around here. It's not our style. It's not what we're about here. Um, 
So in many ways, as we talk about this idea of people empowering, I know I'm kind of preaching to the converted, right? But it's, it's still really important for us to look this challenge in the eyes to make sure that we are not ever like that. That we are a people who, like God, is into people empowering and uh, ministry together, this idea. Um, you know, it is, of course, one of the... We can go to the next slide now. Um, none of us like looking at that one, people empowering. Um, it is one of the five core values that we're working through of the Baptist movement, of which we're a part. Um, and as we see, it's not just that. It is the biblical way, right? It is the way God works in his world. So uh, just... You know, it's always good to review. Let's just say, what are these five values as we launch back into this people empowering? We've been working through them. Uh, I'm not going to read all the detail on each of these slides. There are the five there, but the first, Christ-centred, and we had that message just reminding us that at the end of the day, everything we are and everything we do has to be Christ-centred, has to be about Jesus. We looked at mission shape. He sent us, he sent us out. As Jesus was sent, we are sent. We are on mission together. Third, Third, relationally committed. If it's not about relationships, we need to go home. We've missed the point. Okay? Committed to each other, committed to God, committed to each other, committed to the world. Right? Relationally committed. And today, people empowered. I'm going to come back to that. The last one, week after next, oriented. You know, you can become so insular in churches uh, and as Christians, but we do this together. God's given us. Uh, all kinds of people and in a community like Lismore don't we know that Uh, what a gift it is to be a part of this community and we want to be partnership oriented in 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 doing kingdom work okay they're they're the values we're working through today it's people empowering now that of course is about more than just reducing the load for the pastor it's actually about it's actually about equipping empowering encouraging and releasing every single person who knows Jesus to be who he has made them to be and to serve out of that as part of the body of Christ together out of their gifts and passions. This is about the church being the church, right? And that's us, right? We are an expression of the church. Okay, now to help us with this, we've been given these like three statements that we can work through just to say, if we are going to be people empowering, here are some things that it's going to look like. There's three of them. And the first one, here it comes, is if we're going to be people empowering, can you read that? Some can, some can't. I'm going to read it to you anyway, just to make sure. So if we're going to be people empowering, right at the heart of it, and this is probably the most important one here, is we've got to be nurturing a disciple-making culture that encourages and shapes and releases every person to glorify God in all of their life. Wow. Okay, this needs to be kind of like our heartbeat. This is, this is like our bread and butter. This is what we breathe. This needs to be what everything is about. Um, now, that Acts 18 passage is a really great example of this in action. Right? And I don't know how, how much that kind of jumped out at you as we read it, but I'm going to show you. So what's happening there in Acts 18, you've got the Apostle Paul, and he's travelling around the Mediterranean area, and he's planting churches, right? This is what he's doing. And he's, as he goes, he meets people and he's equipping and empowering and releasing people to grow 
in faith and service who are then going to do the same thing, right? Thanks, Rhonda. It's okay. I don't really need that one, but yeah, here we go. Thank you. Um, so that's what Paul's doing. Now, I'm going to read verses 18 to 20, and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about it. You ready? So we've already read it, but I'm just going to read 18 to 20. It says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, and then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cancrio because of a vow he had taken. And they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue, reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined and he moves on. Right Now, question. Who did Paul meet in Corinth? who then travelled with him to Ephesus. Who was it? Priscilla and Aquila, that's right. And when Paul then continues on from Ephesus, he goes to Jerusalem, then Antioch, and in verse 23 it says he then goes again, right, from place to place throughout Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples, right? He did that. So Paul goes on. Who does he leave behind in Ephesus? Priscilla and Aquila. So he went with them from Corinth to Ephesus and then he left them there when he went on to do other things. Now, of course, Paul didn't just meet these two and then kind of dump the responsibility of Ephesus on them and then just kind of like make a run for it. That's not what happened. Um, Because if we go back to the beginning of chapter 18, when Paul was in Corinth, and you can look at it, I'm not going to read it, but those first three verses or so of chapter 18, we see that he, he, met, he met Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. And can you remember what they did for a living? Tent makers, like he was. So he hung out with them. He actually says he actually lived with them, and they worked together as tent makers, right? And uh, he was in Corinth for one and a half years, it says just a bit later. Now, doesn't say that he lived with them the whole time. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But what does this tell us? It tells us that Paul, Paul spent that time, didn't he? Um, Paul didn't just dump this on them and make a run for it. He'd spent that time where he would have been able to, uh, they would have been able to see how he operated. They would have had many conversations, wouldn't they? He would have been equipping, he would have been empowering, he would have been encouraging. Ultimately then, he released them into ministry. That's how it worked for him. So that's one really good example. But the really cool thing in this passage is that it didn't end there. Did you notice? Did you notice? You did, didn't you? So um, I'm going to read verses 24 to 28, um, the next bit of this story. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. So I think Paul's gone by now. Apollos turns up. He was a learned man. He had a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. He spoke with great fervor. He taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed because he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus 
was the Messiah. So there it is, right? Paul didn't just do this stuff himself, investing into Priscilla and Aquila and then releasing them into ministry. He helped create a culture where this is what happened. Because as we see, Priscilla and Aquila went on to do this. Apollos comes along. Right, Apollos comes along. He's got thorough knowledge of the scriptures. It seems like he was a pretty good public speaker. Skills there. But his knowledge was incomplete. Said he only knew the baptism of John. Right Now, what did Priscilla and Aquila do about this? Did they just let him keep doing what he was doing? Kind of falling short a bit, but, you know, whatever. Or did they... Um, did they try and shut him down because he didn't quite have it all worked out? Well, neither of those things, did they? They invited him into their home and they invested into him. It says um, they invited him, they explained to him the way of God more adequately. They invested into him in this way. Now, I mean, this whole, it's just a little statement, but think about it. Inviting someone into your home, I mean, that's what they had done with Paul and now they're doing it with Apollos this is a doorway to relationship is it not if someone comes into your home this is a doorway to relationship they didn't just send him an email to kind of put him on the right track or have a quick word after the service or something whatever the equivalence of those things back in those days was they invited him into their home and they obviously they spent time with him see building people up or discipling them it has to involve relationship. Right? This is something for each of us to think about. If we're going to be part of this, and it's the main thing, it has to involve relationship. Right? It can't, discipleship. It can't be some kind of impersonal transaction. And when people try and do that, it doesn't work. Have I told you about that? Oh, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to. So years ago back at uni, I was a Christian back then but I wasn't a very mature one. And I was leaving a class and it was like a 20-minute walk across the campus and this girl who'd been in the uh, class with me kind of sidled up and was walking with me. She, I don't know if she was going there or just wanted to try and have this conversation. Anyway, we're walking along and I didn't really know her. I'd seen her a couple of times. Anyway, and she starts telling me the gospel and she had a, like a thing that she wanted to tell me. And I'm thinking, I'm a Christian. If you asked me, I'd tell you. But she didn't ask me. And because I had a bad attitude, this is the immaturity, I let her keep going and then just asked her lots of hard questions. But, like, the thing is, there was no kind of relational thing there, right? And hats off to her, really. I shouldn't have been like that. I had a bad attitude. Don't do it. But, like, she was having a go, at least. She was stepping out. But... Even for a Christian, it can turn you off if there's no sense that this person is actually interested in, in me and where I'm at. It's got to be about relationship. It's got to be about relationship. There you go. That's a little story that I wasn't going to tell. But look, th- this is it. It's got to be about life on life. It's, got, it's going to be caught as well as taught. Sunday morning sermon, fantastic. You can learn stuff and it can change us because the Word of God is powerful. Having a chat afterwards at morning tea time, that's kind of good too. It is good, right? But it's got to be more than that. If we're going to be growing as followers of Jesus and in more and more into that and helping each other in this, we've got to work out ways to actually go deeper, right? And this is why, and you can't be deep friends with everybody in a community like this, but 
but we can shoot for that and we can have those support networks and you're going to have closer groups and a bit wider it's got to be about relationship though and um, <coughs> that's why growth groups are so important isn't it Rhonda yeah because yeah. that's an opportunity to grow with a smaller group more interactive you know we can pray for each other we can care for each other and there are other ways ultimately it's really it really boils down to you and me being intentional about this looking for these opportunities being willing to be vulnerable and uh, walking with people discipleship it's got to be about relationship okay the biggest problem of course can be we're also busy we don't have time for relationships that can be the biggest barrier can't it sometimes we've actually got to make some changes in our life okay now the other thing they did for Apollos they invited him into their home Uh, they told him more clearly what it's all about the other thing was what when he wanted to go off to Achaia right which is back where Corinth was they said no way we've been training you you stay here and help us with our church oh no that's not what they did is it they were part of this community that yeah they encouraged him go for it in fact not only that they did everything they could to support him they wrote this letter to endorse him to the believers there right and when he goes what's it say it says he ended up being a huge help right awesome kingdom of god right not about just their own little church in ephesus or whatever it's beautiful i love this little story um and my guess is it doesn't say this my guess is apollos then went on to invest in the next generation you know equipping and impairing because he'd experienced it doesn't say it i'm just guessing but guys this has to be this has to be at the heart of what we're about it has to be because it's the main thing being and making disciples if we can do heaps of stuff we can be super busy we can go on all the rosters but if this activity is not ultimately and essentially about growing in faith personally right but then also helping others our brothers and sisters and people beyond that then we're just missing the game and so often that happens so the question is uh, and this is where it has to start are you growing are you growing in your faith awesome as a disciple of Jesus are you and if not what changes might you need to make so that can actually happen so God can do that with you and next question of course is how are you investing into someone else's kind of growth as a follower of Jesus how are you investing into others even one or two in in terms of that how's that actually happening for you and then the question then is if it's not happening what changes do you need to make so that it can be happening because this is the main game, right? You know, in many ways, the Western church has forgotten how to do this. We've forgotten. We, our focus, think about this. I, I believe this. Our focus has become on building churches rather than on making disciples. And uh, one of the things you sometimes hear, um, and the, the guys from, um, you've heard us talk about building a discipling culture, those guys, they say our measures of success have become, excuse the language, bums, bucks and buildings. Think about that, bums, bucks and buildings. And it's true. How are you going? Oh, we had this many people at church. Our budget's going great. Look at the building program, you know. Um, they can, they're good things, but they can be completely disconnected to any sense of spiritual maturity of the people involved, right? We've lost sight of of 
actually the main game, making disciples. It's become about uh, yeah, building, building churches. Um, but you know what? God's at work in this. God is doing something here. And there's this growing awareness. Everywhere I go, I meet people from not just other churches, but other denominations who have become aware that we've got to get, we've missed something here and we've got to get discipleship back at the centre of things. We've got to work out how to do that. And um, when I say discipleship, of course, I'm talking about all the way from pre-becoming a Christian right through to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I'm not just talking about something you do with Christians. I'm talking about the whole process. Think about, remember John talking about the Engel scale earlier in the year? If you don't know, don't worry, but it's the whole process. Um, that's what we're talking about. Okay, so and, and building a disciple. I mentioned building a discipling culture. We call it BDC. That, you know, you'll, you hear us talk about that. There's nothing particularly special about it. It's just one expression of trying to get discipleship at the centre of things. And, and there's a small group here in our church, half a dozen of us, that are involved in that. And we're finding it pretty helpful. And again, it's not because it's magic or rocket science. It's just helping us to be intentional about things that we, we already know should be at the centre of our lives as followers of Jesus. Things like not just reading the Bible and studying it, but... How are we actually going to be different this week? What's something we might do differently this week because of it? You know? I mean, how often do we study the Bible and forget by the time we get home? So it's just that. Or, or actually being intentional about looking out for where God's at work around us in the lives of people and then taking steps of faith to get involved in that. And that's all that, that kind of stuff. It's not rocket. You guys all know this. But getting together and encouraging each other in that, you know what? It changes everything. So even with our small kind of mustard seed steps of faith, God is blessing what's going on in that little group. We've been so encouraged lately. I've got one story that I, I think I made some reference to a week or two ago. I'm going to tell you. Delhove. You know Delhove? Not all of you will if you're not regular here, but because Delhove doesn't come to this church, but he's a close friend of us in this church. He's part of this BDC group and is involved in church planting. And uh, so when we, we got together in this BDC group and Delhove was sharing how he's got a friend who he thinks is interested in spiritual things. Uh, but he's got a good relationship with him and he didn't want to muck it up by kind of pushing um, but with a bit of encouragement, he did. He wanted to do this, and so he did it. He asked his friend if he wanted to read the Bible with him. And the guy said, well, I was just... I've quite, I wrote it down here. What did the guy say? He said, I've just been praying to God, asking if he's real when you rang. Right? So Delhove was all nervous about asking him. But this guy was looking. And so that's why he originally said yes. They've been reading the Bible regularly, week on week. And almost every week, this friend of Delhove's feels like the bible is saying god is saying something specifically to him through the bible as they read right and now i don't know about you but if you read the bible with someone you kind of know it can speak to people but when it does it's kind of like oh we kind of get surprised right but that's what's been happening for this guy right and so delhove was sharing with us again recently um uh i'm looking at Kay and donna and you, you can correct me if I'm saying this at all wrongly, but he's saying, look, he's so open here. When, when is the right time to kind of ask someone if they want to actually step in, you know, commit, make a commitment to Christ and show, show that in baptism? Because I don't want to wreck this relationship. This is going really well. 
but I mean, maybe, you know, at what point? And so we talked around a bit and he decided he probably sh- it probably is the time, right? Anyway, we all get a message a few days later. He was very nervous about this. Um, and he spoke to this guy and I wrote it down again uh, with a fi- spirit of fear and trepidation and the response, well, you know, do you, want to, do you want to commit your life to Christ and be baptised? The response was, I was hoping you would ask me to commit my life to Christ and all he wanted to know was how, how's it work and when's it going to happen, all right? And so, I don't know, you just think, what did it take for that to happen? Took a risk, didn't it? Took a bit of encouragement. It's not as if Delhove didn't know how to do that before. But we, God is at work, right? And we kind of forget that. And uh, we don't expect it. And uh, anyway, if, look, you can do this in all kinds of ways. Um, but let me say, this is the main game. This is what this is about. And it's for everyone, not just a few spiritual professionals or, or whatever, right? But we need to help each other with this because we all kind of limp along. And it's, But you know what? God blesses us when we are willing to step out in faith. If you think something like BDC could be helpful for you, do talk to one of the people who are doing it because we're just right now starting to think about how we can open it up if others want to kind of be part of that. But we're not saying that's the thing. There's all kinds of ways. We just need to be thinking, what's God doing around us? And how can we love people enough to take those risks for the sake of, um, for the sake of sharing? Okay, building a, disip- building a culture of, of discipleship. Um, okay, that's the first one. That's the main one. There's two others. Second one's this. Is it up there? Okay, in case you can't read it, it says, we're here, if we're going to be people empowering, we're going to be investing strategically in raising in the identification, development, and empowerment of leaders. Is that true? If we're going to be people empowering, we've got to be looking out for those leaders, raising them up. We've got to be intentional about that. That's true, isn't it? For our churches, for the future, for ministries, we've got to be raising up, looking for raising up leaders. Now, as I read this, I thought, eh, it's not that different to the previous point. Because if we are intentionally encouraging people as disciples of Jesus to serve out of their gifts and passions according to how God's made them so they can be released into ministry and service, we are going to be raising up leaders. It's going to happen, right? And, you know, if leaders are essentially people who influence other people, right, then we're all kind of, we're all leaders, aren't we? Called to be leaders, even if not in the formal sense and so we got passages that kind of agree with us on that 1 peter 2 verse 9 says peter says you are a chosen people you are a royal priesthood so this is you individually but also us together right this you are a chosen people you are a royal priesthood you are a holy nation you are god's special possession isn't it beautiful this is who you are And we've got a purpose, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is who we are, all of us. Um, We're all priests. So getting back to that idea, the Baptists were right all along. Uh, We're all called to ministry. We're all set apart to make God known in the world. All of us. That's who we are. That's what we're here for, biblically. Um, 
you know, but certainly we would say there's no special priestly caste with special access to God who should do all the leading. We are all priests in that sense that through Jesus, the great high priest, we have access to God, all of us. Wow, we've got his spirit in us, all of us, right? We all play our part in promoting the gospel of Jesus, uh, in influencing those around us for Jesus, regardless of who we are or how we made or or, or, or whatever, we play our part in the body of Christ. Now that's a familiar theme, isn't it? Have you heard, ever heard, ever heard people talk about playing our part in the body of Christ before? I mean, this is such a strong theme in the New Testament, isn't it? Uh, four passages. Have we got that slide there? So uh, these are the classics. Like one Corinthians twelve has a whole lot on each playing their part in the body of Christ, the different gifts. We need each other. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, even Peter in 1 Peter 4 talks about this. I'm not going to go through all these now, but the, the, idea, is, the idea is that we all play our part. And if you think you've got nothing to offer into all of this, then think again, right? One, uh, going to the Corinthians 1 verses is it 20 to 21 to 22? Do we have that up there? You know, it's that whole, you would have heard this. The eye can't st- say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. We need each other. This is the thing. We've all got a part to play. It's going to be different, but we're all part of this. Okay, it's a, it's a really big thing. So that's the first part of an answer to this question about the business of raising up leaders has to be really important for us. But the other part of an answer to this question, of course, is that there are people with particular gifting in that space. And in Paul's list in Romans 12, he lists leaders as one of the kind of gifts, along with other gifts like teaching and giving and serving and prophesying and all kinds of things. And so, you know, we do need to constantly be on the lookout for these ones, you know, to identify, to develop, to empower, to release these ones. And uh, so think practically about this, guys, because lots of us are doing things. If you're leading something, if you're leading a music team, I can see Cassandra there. If you're, um, if you're um, the expert prayer, um, if you're uh, on the sound desk or welcoming or a deacon or running men's or women's ministry or kids' church, whatever it is, who are you? How are you involved in this thing of raising up leaders? Who are you looking at? Who are you apprenticing into this so that they can ultimately one day take over if you fall off the perch? No offence. But even better, um, so that we can multiply, so we can do new things and see God's work grow. Who are you investing into? Right? Um, I've just, I'm not going to spend ages on this, but I I just really like this. It's a little tool for doing that. I don't know if you find it helpful. It comes out of a book by uh, Dave and John Ferguson and I've got a slide for it but the book is called Exponential How You and Your Friends Can Start a Missional Church Movement this is just a really cool little tool for thinking about raising up leaders okay Have you, who's seen something like this before it's got five steps don't be de- deceived by the apparent simplicity the idea is you've got someone right so um uh, uh, what's a ministry? Okay, sound desk. Someone new to do the sound desk. And um, you first time in, you say, I do, you watch. And then at, when you've done it, you talk about it. What, how did that go? What worked? Etc. Do that for a bit. And you're ready. Next step, I do, you help. 
and then we talk about it. What worked, what didn't work, where did we trip up? Third step, you do, I help, and then we talk about it. How did that go? And then ultimately, you do, I watch, we talk about it. And then you come circle, you do, someone else watches, and on you go, right? Is that rocket science? It's pretty straightforward. But it encourages us just to be intentional about this. If you're, if you're involved in some ministry and that's helpful to you, feel free to steal it. I'm sure Dave and John Ferguson won't mind. In fact, that's what they want. Okay, let's move on. Last one. Um, we've got uh, nurturing disciple-making culture, investing in leaders. Last one, interesting one. I saw this and thought, ah, respecting our heritage whilst championing further innovation. I reckon the main idea here is that if we're going to be raising up new leaders and encouraging people to grow in discipleship, to step out in faith and follow God, what it means is we've got to then release them. And that's a risky business. Um, We want our emerging leaders not just to be carbon copies of us, we want them to stand on our shoulders, do we not? We want them to learn from us but we want them to do better than us. If we're doing this right, that's what's going to happen, right? And if they're younger, right, they're probably going to be more attuned to today's culture and better equipped for bridging, you know, building those bridges between Jesus and those around us, right? Now, when we talk about this, it clearly isn't about rejecting the lessons of the past. It's not. We learn. We respect. We value the lessons of the past, um, we respect our heritage, as it says there. But at the same time, we've got to back our emerging leaders and we've got to take the risk of, of letting them have a go at things, even if they are sometimes going to fail. Or if we think they're going to fail, maybe they won't. Um, look, risk and faith are closely related, you know. Um, Isaiah forty three nineteen. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. There the prophet Isaiah is looking forward to Jesus, basically. But think about Jesus. See, God doesn't change. But is Jesus not a really amazing example of God doing new things? Yeah. Same God, same loving, saving purposes, but new things. And God's always been like that. Always. And we get this mixed up in the church sometimes, right? God never changes, The gospel never changes, but his way of working in the world is constantly changing. Constantly changing. There are some some things that stay the same, but in terms of forms of things, and if you think through salvation history in the Bible, like think of God working in different ways. First, first through his people in the garden, right, of Eden, and then beyond the garden, and then through the uh, through the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac. He was working differently in that way, wasn't he? And then, you know, then through events like uh, the Exodus and then through the wilderness years, same God working in different ways for his loving, saving purposes in the promised land and then in exile and then through Jesus and now through the church. But he's always worked in different ways. God does new things. Now, releasing leaders, you know, if we're going to be raising up these leaders... If we're going to then let them go, when they let Apollos go, you know, there's risk involved there. There is risk involved. But you know what's even more risky? Not doing it. It's true, isn't it? Not doing it. 
if the only stuff we allow is the stuff that we already know because it's worked for us, then uh, it, the future doesn't look so good. I mean, we all know, don't we, that the Australian church is in decline. We're in a rapidly changing culture. There are people are interested in Jesus, but some of those people are never going to cross the threshold of a traditional church. We'd love them to, but we've got to find ways. We've got to find ways. Okay. Um, I did tell you once before about a church I went into once. It was a beautiful church, uh, a little old church. It was small. It was dark. It smelt musty. And it still had um, pews and a little row of, you know, a roll of carpet down the middle and the rest was wood. Just classic, right? Um, Stained glass windows like we've got. Anyway, um, so... But it was, it was this classic church. And I can tell you, the people there were lovely. Don't hear me saying anything bad about these people. I knew some of them, and they were lovely, self-giving, genuine followers of Jesus, right? But I got up, I was wandering around waiting for them, and they had one of those classic big pulpit things. And I'm not used to them. And I thought, I might just see what that feels like. And so I stood up there, and I looked down. And inside, have I told you this one before? I looked down, and there was a poster. Do you know what it said? It said, God never changes. Is that true? Yeah. But do you know what? I think they got God and the church mixed up somewhere along the line. Right? God never changes, but his way of working in the world is always changing. And uh, we want to be a part of that. We want to be championing on the next generation of leaders that we're busy raising up and supporting. So there it is. Um, if we're going to be people empowering, we've got to respect our heritage whilst championing further innovation. I'm going to wrap up now. I think I've been a bit long today, I'm sorry. Think about, just as we wrap up, think about the early church. Think, about, think again about the early church, because we were reading from Acts, weren't we? Imagine if the early church hadn't been into people empowering. It would have run out of steam pretty quickly, would it not? Would it not? But it didn't, did it? Why? Because being people empowering was the way of Jesus. It's what Jesus did. And, uh, I mean, think about it. He invested into those 12. He had the crowds, but he invested into the 12. He invested into his own relationship with the Father. He took time out always, but he invested into the 12, and even more so into the three, Peter, James, and John. We read about that through the Gospels. That was Jesus' style. And so, of course, they went on to do the same thing. And we've got stories like this with, uh, Paul, uh, with Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. This is how it worked. And, of course, it wasn't just some clever kind of pyramid plan. This was people loving people and investing into them. And it was all supercharged, wasn't it, by the Holy Spirit? Right? It wasn't just some human construction. Think about Acts 2 and the day of Pentecost. And you know what? You think about the day of Pentecost and all the crazy things that happened back there. Same Holy Spirit that we've got today. This is God's power to work through his people to see his loving purposes known to the world. That's what he's all about. And he's desperate for us just to get involved in that. And our small steps of mustard seed faith in that direction, God just blesses. He blesses. It's the way of Jesus. People empower. Let me close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that this is your way, even though it makes us feel a bit scared when we think about ourselves. We're not quite sure why you choose to work this way, but you do. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the people you've given us. We thank you that we're not called to do this alone, but in community, together, we can help and encourage each other. But Lord, we want to see your love known. We want more people to discover the purpose and the life that only you can bring. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.